The siren call of worldliness can ruin a Christian. In this, the 49th edition of Sound Teaching, we'll go to James' epistle as he describes worldliness and gives us sage advice on how to avoid it in our lives. In the fourth chapter of James' epistle, he described a group of people who by any standard could only be perceived as evil. They were caught up in wars and fighting, lust, murder, covetousness, and sensuality. However, I want you to note who he was actually describing. The context indicates it was his brethren. It seems inconceivable that the Lord's church, his people, could have sunken to such depths. This is a lesson to be learned here. Simply put, Satan does not leave Christians alone. If you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, Satan as your enemy works diligently to enslave you once again. We must always be cognizant of his tactics. The warnings are numerous throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians 6, in verses 10 and 11, Paul wrote, My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 8, the Apostle Peter described Satan. Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 said, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There are many passages just like this that inform us of the possibility of Satan causing us to fall. And all of these warnings are given to Christians. But notice again the sins of James' brethren. They were self-willed desiring pleasure. They lusted. They were covetous. Their prayers were not answered because their requests emanated from a wrong motive. All of this encapsulated could be described as worldliness, a desire for worldly things coupled with a self-dependence that left God completely out of the picture. And as a result, James wrote, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, who wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now compare these Christians with our society, where worldliness and selfishness again are preeminent. Most are concerned only with what they can get, what pleasure they can obtain. The cry is, mine, 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 all the time. Mankind has always been guilty of this, but I believe at no time in the history of man has this tendency been greater than it is today. And unfortunately, God's children can be influenced to sin in this very manner. We need to be careful not to let our material desires get out of hand. There's an old English proverb which states the type of attitude we should have. It declares, a little house well filled, a little land well tilled, a little wife well willed are great riches. We need to learn contentment. We should not be concerned so much with what we have, but more concerned with who we are and what our relationship with our Lord should be. Now, James' sensible advice explaining how to avoid this sensual nature begins in verse 7 of that fourth chapter. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. To resist the sensual temptations of the devil, 
James says, first, you must submit yourself to God. The word submit indicates a subservient position. We are to allow God to rule our lives and wills. If we let God take over our lives and decision-making, we will be much better off. Second, we must resist the devil. For too many, the devil has become a familiar figure. He is around so much that he is accepted. Anytime he rears his ugly head to tempt us or lead us to evil, we should be fighting him. If he does not find it comfortable being around you, then he will leave. Third, we must draw near to God. If we actively seek the presence of God through righteous living, we are promised that he will reciprocate. God desires a relationship with you, and if it's not there, it's not his fault. It's your own. God has done his part, and now it's up to us to do ours. And then finally, we must repent. James says to cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, lament and mourn and weep. We must not only be sorry for the sin in our lives, but also be willing to make a 180-degree turn to righteousness, to leave sin and start once again living for Christ. The key, of course, is humility. As James states, we are to humble ourselves in the sight of God, and he will lift us up. It's pride which causes these sins, the self-will of man. The Greek words translated pride in the New Testament, they refer to boasting, haughtiness, and high-mindedness. Now, if we understand who we are and who God is, well, that should cure anyone of the sin of pride. James points this out in verse 12 of the passage when he says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? We would do well to answer James' question, Who are you? The answer is, at least with reference to God, we are nothing. And if we are self-willed, we should repent in dust and ashes. Let us humbly recognize our dependence upon our God, and in recognition of this dependence, live our lives in accordance with His will. Thanks for listening to this edition of Sound Teaching. The Sound Teaching broadcast is brought to you by the West Side Church of Christ in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Stan Cox, and I am the evangelist for this family of Christians. For more information about our congregation, or to find much more material for your private study, please visit our website at soundteaching.org. That's soundteaching.org. Until next time, we pray God's blessings upon you.